Hey everybody, welcome back to Sports Island, your getaway destination for sports news. I'm your host, Rick Mitchell. Man, we had a massive, massive week this past week in sports. Uh, Major League Baseball got back into regular season action. The NBA started their scrimmages, and the NHL is about to start their playoffs. There was also a ton of news coming from around all of the major pro sports. So we have a jam-packed episode this week. So let's go ahead and dive right into it. And we're going to start off like we normally do in the PGA Tour. And this past weekend's tournament was the 3M Open at TPC Twin Cities in Blaine, Minnesota. For me personally, this was the hardest tournament to get into. As I talked about last week, the field was not great. We only had two out of the top 10 golfers in the world and six out of the top 50 in the field. And the two top 10 golfers were Brooks Kepka and Dustin Johnson. Well, Dustin Johnson withdrew from the tournament with an injury after round one. And then Brooks Kepka missed the cut after round two. So halfway through the tournament, The only top 10 players were gone, and there were really only a few other big names left. Tommy Fleetwood came in ranked number 12 in the world, also missed the cut. So the only other top-ranked player in the field at this point was Tony Finau, and he came in ranked number 17 in the world. The leaders for most of the tournament were Michael Thompson and Richie Wierenski. Tony Finau was also up there, but that was to be expected considering there weren't any other top-ranked players in the field. Uh, And that's just not the excitement level that we have seen the previous weeks on tour since the restart. I just could not get zoned in to this tournament like I have all the other tournaments. Uh, But last week, I did make the prediction that the golf this week would be more competitive than last week despite the lackluster field of players. And I was actually right about that. The tournament came down to the last few holes. Thompson and Wierenski were the final pairing on Sunday, and Wierenski just came out flat and fell off the radar. But Thompson put together another solid round on Sunday, turning in a 4-under 67 to capture his first PGA Tour win since 2013. Now, Thompson did have to fend off some hard chargers late in the round because there were at least six golfers who had a legitimate chance to win with just a few holes left. It was good competition, but it just wasn't appealing, for me at least, uh, just without the big names in there. Uh, And Thompson's winning score was 19 under par. But let's check out Rick's picks to click from this past weekend. And statistically, in terms of scores, it wasn't as ugly as last week. But just like last week, I went one for three. And my picks to click from this past weekend were Tommy Fleetwood, Eric Van Royen, and Dylan Fratelli. And as I mentioned a little bit ago, Tommy Fleetwood missed the cut. He finished at one over through two rounds. He just didn't have his stuff. There's really no other way to put it. I thought that his extended rest would give him a leg up, but it actually did the opposite and hurt him. 
Now, Eric Van Royen seemed to have home field advantage uh, because he went to the University of Minnesota, which is right down the street from TPC Twin Cities. But his he went out on Thursday and fired a 74, and that pretty much did him in because his 69 on Friday was too little too late, and he finished at one over through two rounds as well to miss the cut. And my final pick to click last week was Dylan Fratelli. And he was actually the first golfer outside of the world's top 100 that I've picked in any of my picks to click. And he came through for the click. And all four of his rounds were under par. And he ended up at 13 under par, which was good for 18th. He made 25 birdies over the course of the weekend. So if he cleaned up a few of his bogeys, mainly his triple bogey on 18 in Saturday's round three, he would have been right there at the top of the leaderboard on Sunday. But this weekend, the PGA Tour heads over to TPC Southwind in Memphis, Tennessee for the World Golf Championships, or WGC, FedEx St. Jude Invitational. This is a big purse tournament, and it's the final tune-up for the golfers before the first major of the year, the PGA Championship, takes place the week after. And TPC Southwind's going to play at a par 70 this week, and it's going to feature a major championship field. Nine out of the top 10 golfers in the world are going to be there, as well as 45 out of the world's top 50. So total reversal from last week's field. So it's going to be quite the spectacle this weekend. But let's check out Rick's picks to click for this weekend's WGC FedEx St. Jude Invitational. I'll start off with Daniel Berger. Uh, Berger is currently ranked number 28 in the world, and he has had tremendous recent success at TPC Southwind. Uh, He won here at TPC Southwind in 2016 and 2017 before this tournament was a WGC event. And he opened the PGA Restart this year with a win at Colonial and followed that up with a tied-for-third-place finish at Harbortown. And he's just been playing great golf, and I like for him to be near the top this week. My second pick to click for this weekend is going to be Xander Shoffley. Xander's ranked number 11 in the world, and he loves him some WGC events. Uh, He started 11 WGC events in his career so far, and he has a win, a second-place finish, and five top 20s. He's also due for a win since he hasn't won in a while. So I'd say he's pretty much a lock for a top 25 finish. My final pick to click this week is going to be T-Rell Hatton. And T-Rell Hatton is all the way up to number 14 in the World Golf Rankings, thanks in large part to his last several tournaments. Uh, Hatton leads the PGA Tour in putting, and he's fifth on tour in strokes gained tee to green, and fifth on tour in birdie average. He also co-leads the tour in par four scoring. And in his last four starts, he's gone tied for sixth, win, tied for third, tied for fourth. Sign me up for that. He is forcing his way into the upper echelon of golfers, and I can easily see another top 10 finish for him this week in a stacked field. But we'll move on to Major League Baseball. Uh, Baseball has officially returned. and Man, I'm super excited about that. 
I really didn't know how I'd feel about baseball since they're competing with the NHL and the NBA playoffs for attention. But they got their regular season off and running before the NHL and the NBA did. So that was beneficial for them. And it's definitely nice to have America's national pastime back in action. But MLB opening day was this past Thursday. And the first game of the season was the New York Yankees at the Washington Nationals. The game was on ESPN, and it had over 4 million viewers, which made it one of the single most-watched baseball games of all time with regards to regular season. And that should tell you just how much people are ready for sports to be back. And if you've watched any baseball games so far, you've noticed the cardboard fans in the stands behind home plate and along the foul lines. Uh, teams are selling those spaces, and fans can send in their pictures to have their cardboard cutout placed in the stands. It's just a subtle way for teams to make extra revenue and still keep the fans in the game. And you've probably also noticed the artificial crowd noise that the stadium PA announcer is pumping into the stadium. And I've listened to games on the radio, and I've watched games on TV. And man, I can't tell the difference sometimes, especially with the games I've listened to on the radio. Uh, You couple the crowd noise in with the players uh, having their names announced and having their walk-up music being played as they're getting up to the plate. And that's really as about as authentic as can be. It's just a crazy time we're living in right now, and the MLB is really doing a great job at creating the most realistic game feel that they can, given the circumstance. Players do have the option to wear masks and or face coverings, and there have been plenty that have. But for me personally, if I was an MLB player, I probably wouldn't be wearing one, mainly for the comfort aspect. It's just not normal to have a face covering while playing. But hey, if it doesn't bother you, more power to you, because it only makes it safer for everyone if you wear one. But aside from the regular season starting up, the biggest news to come out of Major League Baseball this past week was the announcement that the MLB playoffs are expanding for this season. Um, The issue uh, had been brought up during those discussions a few months back that never ended up in an agreement in which it was decided that the MLB would keep their 10-team playoffs. Uh, But this past week, Major League Baseball announced that for this shortened season, there's going to be 16 playoff teams. Eight teams from each league are going to make the postseason. And they're going to be ranked 1 through 8, with the division winners getting the top 3 seeds. The second place finishers in each division will be seeded 4 through 6, based on their records. The 7th and 8th seeds in each league uh, will be given to the top 2 teams with the next best records, regardless of divisions or division standing. And because the top 2 seeds in each division automatically advance to the playoffs, the 7th and 8th seeds are considered the wildcard teams. Now, the playoffs are going to start with the wild card series, which is going to be best of three, and all games are going to be played at the higher seeds ballpark. It's going to be 1v8, 2v7, 3v6, and 4v5. The divisional series will be a best of five with the traditional 2-2-1 home road format. The winner of 1v8 is going to uh, play the winner of 4v5, The winner of 2v7 is going to play the winner of 3v6. And home field advantage is going to go to the higher seed. 
The league championship series will be best of seven with the traditional 2-3-2 home road format, and home field advantage again is awarded to the higher seed. Now, the World Series will obviously feature the winner of the two league championship series, and it will also be best of seven, with home field advantage being awarded to the team with the better regular season record. Now, the MLB announced that these changes are only in effect for the 2020 season, but that there's always a chance of changes taking place for the 2021 season and beyond, uh, but that those permanent Changes to the postseason structure are going to have to be collectively bargained. And clearly, Major League Baseball has had issues with collectively bargaining here in these recent months. So that's going to be something uh, worth keeping an eye on. But I really like this format. I think the MLB should strongly consider making this the regular playoff format moving forward. I've really never understood why baseball limits the amount of playoff teams the way that they do especially considering a normal baseball season is 162 games. And the NFL has an agreement in place to expand their playoffs, so I don't see why baseball would not follow suit. I mean, the NHL and the NBA already send 16 teams to their playoffs, and they play half the regular season games that baseball does. It just makes more sense to send more teams to the playoffs because You never know how the playoffs are going to turn out. But we'll move over to the National Hockey League now. The NHL just concluded Phase 3 of the return to play plan, which was the training camp phase. Phase 4, which is the start of the actual playoffs, begins this Saturday, August 1st. Players have traveled to their respective hub cities and are getting prepared to start game action. And I've seen pictures of both the Scotiabank Arena in Toronto and the Rogers Place in Edmonton, and both arenas look ready to rock and roll. And the NHL reported that they closed Phase 3, having administered uh, 4,256 COVID tests to 800 players between July 18th and July 25th. And that out of all those tests, they got a grand total of zero positive tests. That is just outstanding, and it really is a good sign for the NHL uh, to try and get the rest of their season completed. But the main news out of the NHL this past week was the announcement that the NHL's 32nd franchise has decided on a team name. If you recall, the NHL previously awarded the city of Seattle the league's 32nd franchise. Well, after exploring over 1,200 team names, the Seattle franchise has decided that their new team name will be the Kraken. The Seattle Kraken. Their colors are icy blue and navy blue with sharp red accents. And I'm not sure how I feel about that. Uh, I like the name. I think it's cool. It's certainly better than what Vegas did a couple years ago with the Golden Knights. Of course, their slogan has to be, release the Kraken, right? Uh, But I'm curious to know what some of the other uh, name finalists were. Uh, But their jerseys look cool. Um, Unique colors. Uh, It's just nice to see the NHL gaining another team. 
Uh, Seattle was overdue for an NHL team. The Seattle Kraken are slated to play their inaugural season in the 2021-2022 season. But the NHL will officially start their playoffs this Saturday, August 1st. So since this week's episode is the last one before the playoffs start, I'll go ahead and make my qualifying round predictions. Now keep in mind that these predictions are taking into account that all teams have had the same four months away from actual competitive games. And remember that these qualifying round series are best of five instead of the best of seven that we'll see in every round after this one. But we'll start off in the Eastern Conference. The fifth seed Pittsburgh Penguins are going to play the 12th seed Montreal Canadiens. And this one's easy for me. The Canadians were all but eliminated from playoff contention before the season paused, and they come into the playoffs as the team with the fewest total points in either conference. I can see them possibly winning a game, but I'm taking Pittsburgh in four games. Next, the 6th seed Carolina Hurricanes play the 11th seed New York Rangers. And this is a similar situation to that Pittsburgh-Montreal series. I mean, Carolina made it to the Eastern Conference Finals last year before being knocked out. I don't see them making it back to the Conference Finals this year, but I do see them beating New York. So I'll take the Hurricanes in a surprising five-game series. Next, the 7th seed New York Islanders play the 10th seed Florida Panthers. And man, the Panthers are a feisty team. And truthfully, I would not want any part of them in the playoffs. They have good scoring and good goaltending, which is a winning combination in the playoffs. So I'll go with the upset and take the Panthers in five games. The last Eastern Conference series is the 8th seed Toronto Maple Leafs against the 9th seed Columbus Blue Jackets. And statistically, this should be the closest series. And the Blue Jackets surprised the hockey world last year when they swept the top-seeded Tampa Bay Lightning in the opening round of the playoffs. But Toronto is literally the home team in this series as the host of the Eastern Conference playoffs. And while I don't think home ice is going to come into play, Toronto has way too much firepower up front to get beat in this round. So I see Toronto taking the series in four games. But moving on to the Western Conference, the fifth-seeded Edmonton Oilers uh, are going to play the 12th-seeded Chicago Blackhawks. And Chicago comes in as the lowest-seeded Western Conference team, but they prove year after year that they show up for the playoffs. I just don't know if they have enough magic to overcome the hometown Oilers. And Edmonton is, of course, the host of the Western Conference playoff teams. But they have two of the brightest young stars in all of the NHL in Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl. And with the way that they've played this year, I just don't see Chicago standing a chance. I can honestly see the series being a sweep, but I'll give Chicago a game. Uh, Give me the Oilers in four games. Next up, the 6th seed Nashville Predators play the 11th seed Arizona Coyotes. And Arizona wasn't even close to making the playoffs, and I don't see them making any noise whatsoever, especially against the playoff-tested Predators. I'm going to take Nashville in a three-game sweep. 
the seventh seed Vancouver Canucks are going to play the tenth seed Minnesota Wild. And the Canucks have some good young talent, but the Wild are another feisty team. They're not good enough to be elite, but they are good enough to make some noise. And I can see them doing what the Carolina Hurricanes did last year in being the Cinderella story that makes it to the conference finals. I'm not saying that that's going to happen. I'm just saying that I can see that happening and wouldn't be surprised if it did happen. I will say that this series is probably going to go the distance in five games, but uh, I'm going to go with the upset and take Minnesota. The final Western Conference series in the opening round here is the eighth seed Calgary Flames against the ninth seed Winnipeg Jets. And I honestly can't believe that Winnipeg is the ninth seed. That's absurd. They are built to win right now, and they have Vesna Trophy finalist Connor Hellebuck between the pipes. That's not to mention they got some serious firepower up front. I expect this series to be extremely physical, and I think goaltending is going to be the edge in this one. And uh, the Jets are better than the Flames in net, and so I'm going to go with Winnipeg in four games. But we'll move on to our segment around the island. There is plenty of quick hit topics to discuss this week, so let's go ahead and get started. We'll move uh, right into the National Football League here. The breaking news out of the NFL this past week was a trade involving New York Jets safety Jamal Adams. Adams had called out the Jets head coach Adam Gase last week, saying that he was not the right leader for the team. And that's on top of Adams already requesting a trade previously from the Jets after they refused to sign him to a long-term deal. So the Jets finally got the offer they were looking for. The Jets traded Jamal Adams and a fourth-round pick in 2022 to the Seattle Seahawks in exchange for safety Bradley McDougal, a first-round and third-round pick in the 2021 draft, as well as a first-round pick in 2022. Holy smokes. Uh, And that's not to mention Seattle is going to have to sign Jamal Adams to a massive extension that's going to be somewhere between 15 to 17 million per year, maybe more. Um, But this is actually what I was hoping the Dallas Cowboys would do, especially since Adams is a local kid here in Dallas. Uh, It sucks to see him go to Seattle, but uh, at least he didn't go to Philly. But also in the NFL, the Kansas City Chiefs offensive lineman Laurent Duvernay-Tardif announced that he is opting out of his contract with the Chiefs this season. And the reason that he is is just absolutely outstanding. Um, Duvernay-Tardif has a doctorate in in medicine. He's recently been in Quebec working in the hospitals on the front line of the COVID-19 pandemic. So he's going to forego his $2.75 million salary this season to serve as an orderly at a long-term care facility in Canada. And because he's opting out, uh, the NFL's opt-out deal says that he's going to make $150,000 either way. But that's just beyond commendable and something that deserves to be recognized. But another piece of NFL information this week was the fact that the league announced that fans who do attend games this season will be required to wear masks while in attendance. And raise your hand if you're surprised by this. Okay, good. Nobody's raising their hand. This really isn't breaking news, 
but it's official, so I gotta mention it. Now, the cities of Buffalo and Philadelphia have already announced that no fans are gonna be in attendance during any of their games, so Bills and Eagles fans don't have anything to worry about. Now, with regard to the Washington, formerly Redskins, the team announced this past week that for the 2020 season, they will be called the, quote, Washington football team. They will keep their colors of burgundy and gold, and the logo on the helmet will be replaced by the players' numbers in gold. Uh, The numbers on the helmet is actually a pretty cool thing. It's old school and looks clean. But multiple reports indicated that they would have a new name before the start of the 2020 season, which I guess were correct because they technically do. It's just not the new creative team name that we were hoping for. I guess Dan Snyder is going to take his time and pick a name uh, and be extra careful about it. And I get not rushing into a new team name, but my God, the Washington football team, that's more embarrassing than just picking a new name. It reminds me of the Big Green or like District 5 from the Mighty Ducks. Uh, like, what are we doing? That new generic team name is worse than their actual football team. And that's saying something. And being that I'm a Cowboys fan, I get to watch the Washington football team at least twice this season. Oh, joy. But the final news out of the National Football League is the fact that the NFL and the NFLPA have agreed to start the training camps on time. Uh, The league held a meeting last week and detailed the training camp rules, roster rules, and matters addressing the coronavirus protocols. So here are some of the highlights of the agreements that have been set in place. The 80-man roster deadline is August 16th which is before their padded practice. But teams can't have 90-man rosters if they go with a split squad setup. The salary cap for this season is at $198.2 million per team. And there is a cap floor of $175 million in 2021, with the possibility of it being higher based on revenue streams. Um, NFL players considered high risk for covid can earn $350,000 and an accrued NFL season if they choose to opt out the 2020 season. Players without risk can earn $150,000 for opting out, which is exactly what Laurent Duvernay-Tardif of the Kansas City Chiefs did. Players who make a team's cut will get a $300,000 stipend if the season is canceled and no games are played. And if a season is canceled before the cutdown date, players who were on a team in 2019 get 250000 Now, to further go along with this protocol, the NFL also announced that players who contracted the coronavirus through a high-risk activity in public settings could be held accountable by their teams and be subject to discipline and or docked pay. According to a memo that was sent to the players' agents over this past weekend, the NFL is defining any high-risk activity as an indoor nightclub with more than 15 people, 
an indoor bar with more than 15 people other than to pick up food, an indoor house party with more than 15 people, an indoor music concert or entertainment event with more than 15 people, a professional sporting event other than an applicable NFL game or event with more than 15 people, uh, or an indoor religious service attended by more than 25% of the venue's capacity. And I'm really curious to see how the NFL goes about this, because it's nearly impossible to pinpoint exactly where a person contracts the coronavirus. Now, obviously, if a player attends any of those events or goes to any of those places and then tests positive after, the NFL is going to make the assumption that it came from one of those events. Um, So it's interesting that they're cutting the limit at 15 people or less when a football roster in the regular season has 53 people. But I'm curious to see if or how many people uh, face discipline under that rule. And this past week, NFL players did start reporting to their team facilities to start their COVID testing process before training camp officially starts this Tuesday, July 28th. And I'm just excited for football, so I'm hoping that the NFL gets going in the right direction with a low positive COVID test percentage to start. But we'll skip back over to Major League Baseball. Uh, This past week, Los Angeles Dodgers outfielder Mookie Betts signed a long-term contract extension with the team. The contract is for 13 years and $380 million, and that includes a $65 million signing bonus. That's just insane. I mean, the Dodgers did give up the farm system in a trade for him, so you knew that the extension was imminent. But there were talks of him possibly not re-signing with L.A. But with the steep price that they paid to get him, I personally never felt that he'd be anywhere but L.A. And Betts is a tremendous do-it-all player. He's got power, speed, and he's just a really solid baseball player. Betts is only 27 years old, so he's in the prime of his career. He's a four-time All-Star and won the 2018 American League MVP. And in that 2018 season, he became the first player in Major League Baseball history to win the League MVP, a Silver Slugger Award, a Gold Glove Award, a batting title, and a World Series all in the same season. And now he's an L.A. Dodger for the rest of his career, barring a trade. But some other news out of the MLB deals with the Toronto Blue Jays. Last week, I talked about how the Canadian government denied the Blue Jays' request to play their home games in Toronto. So the Blue Jays were considering three different locations to play their home games for this season. And there were talks midweek last week that the Blue Jays had an agreement in place with the city of Pittsburgh to play at PNC Park, which is the home to the Pittsburgh Pirates. But those talks fell through. So the Blue Jays ended up selecting the city of Buffalo, New York as their 2020 home. And Toronto's AAA affiliate, the Buffalo Bisons, play at Salem Field. And since minor league baseball isn't being played this year, the Blue Jays are going to call Salem Field home this season. And I heard an interview with a city official from the city of Buffalo the other day on ESPN Radio. And he talked about how excited the city of Buffalo was to host the Blue Jays. And all things considered, it sounds like the Blue Jays are going to have a pretty decent setup there. Definitely a crazy time right now where a major pro sports team can't even play a 
game in their home stadium. But the controversial news out of the MLB this past week is twofold. The first deals with Houston Astros pitcher Justin Verlander. Uh, the other day, Houston Chronicle reported that Justin Verlander is out for the remainder of the season with an elbow injury. But then shortly after that report, Justin Verlander himself came out and said that he only has a forearm strain and that he's going to return to action soon. And Houston Astros manager Dusty Baker backed up Verlander's comments and said that Verlander's only going to miss a couple weeks. And I really don't know who to believe on this. Like, I don't know why the Houston Chronicle would come out and report that Verlander's done for the year without actually confirming that from somebody first. And then you hear from Verlander and Verlander's manager, who are both downplaying the injury to a couple of weeks thing. Well, a couple of weeks and the rest of the season is a big discrepancy. You know, it's typical for players and coaches to downplay injuries. So I'm going to side more towards the Houston Chronicles report. But who really knows at this point? Uh, but either way, it seems like Verlander is going to miss at least his next few starts. And the Astros better hope that Verlander is right because... They, their season would be really compromised if Verlander was to miss the rest of it. But the second piece of controversial news out of the MLB has sent the MLB into a whirlwind here. Uh, on Sunday, four Miami Marlins players tested positive for the coronavirus. And Miami had played the Atlanta Braves in an exhibition game last week before the season started. And after that game, which the test results were not known at this time, two Braves players started to experience COVID symptoms. So they did not make the trip to New York for their opening series against the Mets due to those symptoms, but they've both tested negative. Well, on Monday, Major League Baseball broke news that more Miami Marlins players and some staff members also tested positive, bringing the total to 14 members of the organization who have tested positive in just the last couple days. And this is being deemed an outbreak. And because of that, Major League Baseball postponed the Miami Marlins home opener on Monday against the Baltimore Orioles. And out of an abundance of caution, Major League Baseball also postponed the Philadelphia Phillies home game against the New York Yankees on Monday night. And this was because the Marlins just got done playing Philly in Philadelphia this past weekend. So the Marlins remain in Philadelphia right now and are all currently undergoing more testing. Now the Phillies visitor clubhouse had been completely fumigated several times after the Marlins vacated it on Sunday, but that was not good enough for the MLB to decide to allow the Phillies-Yankees game on Monday to proceed. This is just a crazy situation and the worst-case scenario for the MLB, who had been reporting very low positive test percentages up to this point. And the fact that this happened on opening weekend does not bode well for the prospect of getting a full season in. The only good news coming from this is the fact that the NHL, the NBA, and the NFL are all going to be watching how Major League Baseball handles this to get a read on how they can handle it if a similar situation were to present itself in their sports. This is definitely something to keep an eye on as we move forward here.
But next up is the National Basketball Association. The NBA started their preseason scrimmages this past week, and the regular season starts this Thursday, July 30th. And everything seems to be going really well inside of the bubble. And more reports have indicated that the players are having a good time during their off time inside the bubble while still staying focused on the games. And there seems to be plenty of sporting activities to keep the players occupied. I've heard and read reports of players being able to play golf, cornhole, ping pong, pickleball, and spike ball, all while being inside the bubble. And being that these guys are in sunny Orlando, Florida, it seems like this bubble really is a great combination of business slash vacation. And speaking of the bubble, New Orleans Pelican star Zion Williamson has officially returned to the bubble after leaving last week to tend to a family emergency. He will rejoin the Pelicans after his quarantine period. And last week I mentioned that the Los Angeles Clippers forward Montrez Harrell left the bubble as well to deal with family matters. And he still hasn't returned to the bubble. And after Harrell left, Patrick Beverly left the bubble as well. And Beverly is a key piece to the Clippers' chances at winning a title, so they need him to come back. And if that isn't bad enough, the Clippers had a third player leave the bubble, Lou Williams. He had an excused leave of absence to leave for a funeral in Atlanta. Well, after the funeral in Atlanta, Lou Williams decided to pick up some food from Magic City, which is a popular strip club in Atlanta. And the original report stated that Williams only went there to pick up a food order. Yeah, okay. I'm sure that's all he picked up there. But the NBA investigated the incident, and they decided that Lou Williams has to quarantine for 10 days upon his return to the bubble. And that's going to cause him to miss the first game or two of the the season startup. And the Clippers are already locked into the playoffs as one of the top seeds, so that's really not that big of a deal. But still, that story is hilarious. Now, the final piece of NBA news deals with the New York Knicks. And the New York Knicks have agreed to a deal with Tom Thibodeau to be their next head coach. The deal is for five years. And Thibodeau is a proven coach. He previously coached the Chicago Bulls and the Minnesota Timberwolves. He's got a career NBA coaching record of 352 and 246, which is good for a 589 winning percentage. And he also helped coach the 2016 USA men's Olympic basketball team en route to a gold medal. So I'd say that's a good hire for the Knicks. But then again, the Knicks are the NBA's version of purgatory. So good luck to Coach Thibodeau on that. But finally, we'll uh, visit some NCAA athletics real quick. This past week, there were reports that Notre Dame is planning on joining the ACC for the 2020 football season. Notre Dame is an FBS independent team that has an annual scheduling partnership with the ACC, Atlantic Coastal Conference. Currently, Notre Dame has six of its games scheduled to be against ACC teams, so it makes sense as to why the ACC is considering adding Notre Dame to its conference. The only issue that's up for debate is whether or not to make Notre Dame eligible to play in the ACC championship game in December. The addition of Notre Dame to the ACC 
would have to be approved by the ACC Board of Directors. Now, I'm all for them finding a conference to play in. But if the ACC adds Notre Dame to their conference, they have to make them eligible to play in the championship game. It wouldn't be right to add them to the conference and then not make them eligible, especially since Notre Dame actually has a legit chance to make it to the conference championship in that scenario. So I just I don't see the point in adding a team to your conference but then not making them eligible to play in the conference championship game. I don't get that. That just seems like a double standard. Like you want Notre Dame's money and revenue, but you're not going to allow them to play in the championship. That, that's just going to cause some major issues. But that's going to wrap up the sixth episode of Sports Island. I hope you all enjoyed it. As always, if you did, please tell friends about it, share it, um, rate, review, and subscribe to it anywhere you get your podcasts. It's available on Apple, Spotify, Google, as well as other platforms. Um, you can also find the podcast on Facebook, at Sports Island Podcast. And I mentioned this last week, but if there's anything specific you'd like for me to talk about on the podcast or break down even further, just drop me a comment on the Sports Island Facebook page or a message, and I'd be glad to uh, dive a little deeper into that for you. But I hope you all have a good week. Stay safe, be well, and we'll catch you on Sports Island next week.